All show participants, including myself, are to the best of our abilities and intentions here to engage in informative discussions about any and all facets surrounding mental health issues with integrity, sensitivity, and honesty. As your host, I am here to start the conversation and help, but all of my opinions are of my own and not to be substituted for professional medical expertise or treatment. I am not a medical expert, and while my opinions on this show are intended to bring positivity, change, and help to my audience, some of them might not be agreeable to you. Know that these opinions and experiences are only shared with the soul and express intent to help you start the journey toward a better day, not to hurt, offend, or discredit. And with that, let's start the show. How are we today, everyone? I'm your host, Tyler Coe. Welcome to my mental health show uh, here on Twitch. We're so excited to have you here, no matter how, no matter how you got here. Uh, remember that you can watch the recorded version of this show on YouTube, as well as the VOD. You can listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, a bunch of other audio platforms. And of course, we do the show live every single Monday at 7 p.m. Central. And it is the season, my friends. Can you smell it in the air? We're, we're there. The fall is here which means that winter is right around the corner. We're winding down to yet another year uh, having to deal with COVID. It's been a tough time, I think, for all of us, but this is the part of the year that I, uh, it's all my favorite things, all my favorite loves. Um, and it's also simultaneously my least favorite time of the year. And that I think is kind of the same for a lot of different people. Um, all of us kind of go about feeling our way through the end of the year as we get into kind of a reflective period, right? Um, heavy reflection of like where we've been, what are we doing? And with that, we start to let some things creep in, right? I know I do. I let guilt creep in. I let shame creep in. I start to think, what did I do with my time? A lot of people hate the holidays. Some because of family, lack of support, lack of love, tough relationships there. So the end of the year, gets pretty tricky for all of us, no matter, you know, kind of what you're going through. Um, and all of us can relate to the triggers that we're going to experience, the episodic periods that we're probably going to go through, you know, um, and loss. There's an abundance of that when we get to the end of the year. And I guess that's why we decided as a country, at least here in the United States, and I know we have international uh, uh, viewers and we welcome you guys as well, but uh, October is National uh, Depression Awareness and Screening Month. So we start off the fall making sure that everybody's on the same page, that look, we understand that depression is kind of on its way along with the dropping temperatures and the changing leaves. So that's gonna be the two topics we talk about on the show today. And listen, we all know, as we look at my chalkboard, like the world is swimming in depression right now. Not a one of you is okay. I'm not okay. My guest I'm bringing on is probably not okay in some form or fashion. Like we're all going through it right now. And if you're not and you're up, that's awesome. But you know somebody who isn't. And the fact that depression is one of those things that it can come on so sudden or it'll be a ramp up is so frustrating because it's different every time, right? Like um, it comes in so many different forms and everything that we're going through exacerbated to the nth degree with its severity. All of us kind of know about that, so I'll shut up because I don't need to really talk about it. But it, one, of those hard, one of the hardest things to know about depression, which is kind of your baseline, like, you know, symptom, like, you know, we're all going through it, we're sad. Um, it's just how fast it can hit for no reason. And I think that's the frustrating part with depression is not knowing why. 
why and how is this going on right now when I was up? I was doing okay, and now I'm sad, and I don't know why. Some people do know why. Like for me today, I'll give you uh, an example. I'm depressed right now, majorly, and it's crazy. Woke up this morning, felt decent, decent amount of energy. Uh, I'm like, okay. I went to the gym, had a great workout, didn't hurt myself, which is a rarity, and I'm feeling pretty good. I had a lot of confidence. I'm feeling like, hey, I have a lot of stuff to do today, and I'm actually excited to get going to it. To it. And then, boom, I'm in the car. Nothing. I've been fine. I had a great morning. Hits me like a freight train. Have no idea. And then you just start spiraling. You manifest things. Like I focused in on and bawled my eyes out because I realized that my two favorite actors of all time, Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks, will die one day. And then I manifested that they died today and how sad it was and how much it impacted me. And I spoke at their funeral and then I yelled at Twitter trolls for gatekeeping empathy and telling them like, hey, maybe you should go watch Philadelphia and learn about brotherly love. It's the greatest movie ever with both of them. Like none of that stuff makes sense. And we all have those moments where we go down the rabbit hole. Um, and it's so frustrating because I know what it comes from with me at least. It comes from my bipolar. That's where I know it comes from. But for so many other people, especially right now where people are learning that they do and can go through mental illnesses, that depression is real. They don't know how. They don't know why. They have, nowhere, they have no clue where to start. Is this going to be temporary? Is this going to be a long-time thing? Um, seasonal, situational, uh, situational, chronic depression uh, is something I don't think any of us off the top of our heads, we wouldn't know how to differentiate either one of those. I wouldn't be able to pinpoint symptoms here and there for any of them. I don't have any of the answers, which is a good thing that I'm bringing on my guest who I think is going to be able to help us out and then some to talk about, you know, depression and screening, screening to get help for these things and figure out what really is going on with my depressive state right now. So I would kind of, I am so excited to welcome to the program, Dr. Hani Talebi, uh, a good friend of mine who I've been trying to get on the show, who is a licensed psychologist, specialist in school uh, psychology, parent management training, and is the new vice president of health system integration at the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. So without further ado, I would like to welcome on the good doc. So doc, how are we doing today, my friend? Tyler, I am doing so much better now that I have, one, kind of just seen all your intro slides, which are beyond informative, just really supportive, <laughs> and really just, um, I don't know, it engenders a sense of optimism, and then your vulnerability and talking about your own experience. You and I were talking earlier about the extent to which um, really reducing stigma is about being honest and talking to yeah. people about your own experience um, to highlight the universality of it. It's, it's not something that you're going through alone and the extent to which you can find comfort in um, either supporting someone else or allowing someone else to support you is magic. It's a beautiful thing. It and is it's magic. really nice that you're cultivating it here. So uh, I'm doing well, short answer. That, <laughs> that's good, Doc, I'm glad. And, and I appreciate the kind words and it is, it's one of those frustrating things. Look, I get it. Denzel and Tom Hanks dying, that would be terrible. We would all cry. I don't know why that came to me today, but I know you kind of deal with this all the time and you have throughout your career, you know, spanning over 20 years. I mean, how common of an of occurrence is it, right, on a daily basis where you have a parent coming in, you have an adult, a young adult coming in, uh, somebody older saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm depressed. Is that real? 
when somebody comes to you like that, Doc, what, what is that conversation like to start it off? Because obviously depression is this gigantic world. There's so many different things going on with it. How do you kind of ease into that conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. One just quick add-on that I would put to that is it really isn't um, anything that is kind of chronologically encapsulated in a, a time range. Um, there are kids as young as five, six years old that are starting to demonstrate the symptomatology consistent with depression because they have a genetic predisposition toward it, because there are social determinants of health that are contributing to them having these difficulties, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's really the entire gamut when it comes to age. Um, how do you start that conversation? What does that look like? Obviously, it depends on the developmental ability and presentation of the individual, and you wanna meet a human being where they are. And so validating their experience, normalizing that experience, um, really highlighting that they're not alone in that experience, while also counterbalancing that with not marginalizing their unique experience, right? Because only they are them and only they are experiencing what they're experiencing um, in an idiosyncratic fashion when it comes to their mom or their father who had passed away of cancer or this bullying that they're dealing with or whatever. So um, you want to kind of find that balance between the universality of it and then kind of the uniqueness of that individual sitting in front of you. Right. Because... And a whole lot of listening. At the, at the beginning, it is a whole lot of listening. Tell me your story. Talk to me about what you're experiencing. Put it in your own words because it's very easy for me day after day over 20 years to say, oh, this sounds familiar. I've heard this before. This, let me tell you exactly what you need to do. When in reality, it's how the art of the work really is. To what extent can you sit and be present and allow an individual to tell you their own experience in their own words so that you have a better understanding of their worldview and you can perspective take, right? You can put yourself in their shoes and then start to really have that compassion to figure out all right, I, I feel you, and what are we going to do now to problem solve? What kind of strategies and tools are we going to support you in garnering so that you can really start making a difference when it comes to your quality of life? And right there, when you're starting off, it's like, all right, yeah, which is awesome. I wish I had you as a doc when I was going through my uh -huh. stuff when I was a teen. I didn't really have the whole sitting thing. And there was a, you know, we'll get into this later, doc, but there's generations that did not get that treatment that you just talked about, which definitely has been an issue and so going back to that all right you know acknowledging we have this thing listening what's the game plan how do you as a doctor kind of identify that because there's environmental issues that go into that it's genetic it's psychological it's biological so how are you able to kind of pinpoint that even though you just said you know i've never really heard the same story twice are there things that you can identify where it's like that might run in the family or that might sure. just because of your situation Sure. Yeah. And, and really the standard of care um, involves a few different elements. One is a very thorough developmental history through interview. You want to have a conversation with someone and talk to them about their developmental milestones. Were you doing things like walking and talking and making friends and being social? And did you have both parents around? Did you have an intact family system versus not? Um, those types of things. Um, did you ever have a surgery? Did you ever have a traumatic experience? Um, what kinds of things were going on academically? What kinds of things were going on in your community? Those types of elements. So the extent to which you can have a very kind of open-ended, substantive conversation, um, the younger the child, obviously, the more it's going to be with the, the caregiver or the parent to get that information because um, they have that uh, data to provide. Uh, but then the other side of that is something significantly more quantitative, and it's something that's standardized. Um, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more. We're talking about screening. 
We're talking about using assessment and evaluation um, that is statistically grounded to determine the extent to which someone is in a clinical versus subclinical range um, relative to depression, to anxiety, to trauma, to any number of different mental health presentations so that one, you can identify it off the bat. Two, you can figure out what are the evidence-based, scientifically grounded, empirically supported interventions that you can use to assist this patient or this family system with their issues. And then three, measurement-based progress monitoring. To what extent do we re-administer those assessments to ensure that this individual is making progress over time. We can't simply anecdotally say, oh, he or she or they look a lot lighter and a lot brighter when they're in conversation with me once a week for an hour, those types of things. That doesn't make any sense. Instead, if we can quantify that, if we can actually use data to say they're self-reporting this, their parent is reporting this, their teacher is reporting this, we're seeing less disruptive behavior in the classroom. We're seeing less in-school or out-of-school suspensions. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, parents are reporting uh, more frequent kind of contact with friends, those types of things. Then we know that we're on the right path, and then we can start benchmarking things. We can identify, are we moving in the right direction? Are we not moving in the right direction? So right there, let's gear that towards an adult. Like, let's say I need to go do that and I get a screening. Um, how often would you be talking about that? Like, if you see me for a little bit, like, you know, what are the increments to this as far as like, is this like every week, two weeks, or is it kind of like, you know, depending upon me, I could come in every week if I wanted to, or like, what is that standard range for people? It's a great question. And, and I, it speaks to a little bit again about the heterogeneity of those experiences, because I think there are certain individuals, um, where I would feel really comfortable comfortable giving them um, kind of a screening tool once every two to three months just to get a pulse on kind of what's going on. They're not particularly acute when it comes to their depressive or anxious symptomatology. I, there are no safety concerns, those types of things. This is someone who's struggling intermittently with issues related to depression or anxiety, um, but then they kind of are, they have the resilience and they have the skill set to be able to kind of self-manage and self-regulate a lot of the difficulties they're running into. On the contrary, if there's an individual who is really struggling with a higher acuity of um, depressive symptomatology, for example, they're coming in as an adult saying, you know, I am intermittently having thoughts of ending my life, but I don't have a plan. I don't have the means to do that. I wouldn't carry it out. I know that for sure. Um, this is an individual I would screen every time they came in. And I would give them something simple. A PHQ-9 is kind of this universal standardized screener that we use regularly across all different types of milieus. Um, to get nine questions in um, and figure out kind of what's happening with your mood, what's happening with um, your physical activity, what's happening with your thoughts, um, are you feeling suicidal, those types of things. And it, end up, it ends up being a really nice benchmark relative to um, are you in a place to be able to uh, self-regulate, take care of what you need to in a day-to-day -day sense. Um, and then it gives the clinician or the provider the ability to say, hey, um, you marked this on the PHQ-9 this week, and it wasn't there last week. Let's talk about that. What's going on there? What were some things that happened this past week that may have contributed to that? And then let's figure out some strategies to meaningfully address it. So it kind of depends on what you're dealing with. But oftentimes, generally speaking, the um, preponderance of the population, it's not going to be but you know, an initial um, of kind of thorough evaluation and then screening every two to three months afterward, depending on the presentation. 
Right, which is, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking of this in mind, like there are so many people, because you talked about, like people could come in and just not necessarily lie, but they just don't, you know, we're just, I'm just going to follow protocol and I'm just going to check off, which is why therapy and that whole, you know, trifecta basically of medication, diagnosis, which goes into screenings and then therapy is so important because you can't just like, because I know if you, if you were like my doc, I, I would lie to you every time. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I'm so satisfied with my sleep and my mental health. My job is awesome, Doc. And like, like I know people lie. Everything is perfect. Yeah. Which, which I then think the is, question yeah. is, the question is, Tyler, why are you here? Right? If I'm in, if I'm in the <laughs> private sector and you're coming in to me every week, yeah. oh man, things are going really well. We should probably start talking about, you know, termination. Everything's just great, right? Yeah. So, and, and I think this is the challenge is um, building enough trust with a patient to be able to have them, um, really expose themselves in a vulnerability sense to say, I am struggling. There isn't stigma uh, attached to it to the extent that they're going to kind of lie to you about what they're experiencing or downplay or minimize those things. Um, and then again, it becomes kind of the art of the work. Kids don't come to therapy, their parents bring them to therapy. Um, but when it comes to adults, um, they don't come to therapy unless the law tells them they have to come to therapy or someone who pays their bills tells them that they have to come to therapy or something like that. So um, generally speaking, the hope is that most adults who come in, they actually want the help. They may not know how to ask for it, um, but I think that a, a good provider is someone who will get to a place where they can kind of um, orient the patient to understanding that um, the more they're able to discuss um, in a very candid fashion their mental health struggles, uh, the better the likelihood of them improving their quality of life across different dimensions. I think that's something to really uh, to think about is in terms of all different age groups and like how people do express themselves because it's so hard. We love lying to our doctors as a people. It's one of our favorite uh, pastimes. You know, you go in, you know, you're I'm, sick. I'm going to show so up what have you been doing? Yeah. I've been nothing. I've been doing nothing. I'm fine. But you're in here because you're sick. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Um, yeah. But I also kind of, you know, we talked about this uh, before we hopped on. And I think this is um, this has always been something I'd wanted to ask somebody in your field is have you seen types of depression evolve? Because we were uh, kind of talking about this as far as generationally. You know, when I got into college, that's the first year that Facebook became a thing. So I'd never had Facebook uh, in middle school as a child going through those tough years, not saying that college is any tougher, but I was at least maturing. I didn't I didn't have Twitter. There, there wasn't Instagram. So, you know, I wasn't looking at all these things. And now you have yeah. you have generations of kids that are wired in from day one. You know, I have I have some God uh, Godchildren that they've had iPad. I, I, I've never had an iPad in my life and they have. Um, have you seen their is there any new terms that have come out about this? Like things that you have seen that it's like, wow, th th this is definitely something new that, that we, we need to explore a little bit more. Yeah. I, you know, um, there's, again, the short answer is absolutely things have changed and there is a generational impact to, um, all types of things. And this isn't the first generation, right? I mean, you go all the way back in history and you talk about um, moving from an oral tradition to, to books. And people are like, oh, books are the devil and we can't do this. Oh, this is going to demolish our society. And then you go to radio, you go to television, you do all those things. But then the monster leap really happened with um, the internet. And so the most kind of basic indicator that we have that human beings oftentimes are not wired um, to be able to self-regulate in this uh, medium is internet addiction, right? And so 
It is an absolute, you know, human beings, we want things on tap. We want to be able to push the button and immediately reinforce and have all the endorphins and all the neurotransmitters fly at the same time. We're very bad um, as a species at being able to self-regulate that. And then you um, kind of compound that issue by giving people the universe in a rectangle and saying, here, good luck. I'm not going to train you on how to use this. Just spend as much time as you can on it and figure it out. Also, everybody you know has one of these, and they don't know how to use it either, so good luck. Just try to figure it out, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> and so now we're in a place where I'm going to date myself a little bit more um, and just say that uh, that stuff didn't exist for me in graduate school, right? I didn't, there was no social media. iPhones didn't exist, any of that stuff. Um, so I was a full-blown adult and had my first child when all that stuff was first coming out. And so as an adult with a fully formed um, frontal lobe of my brain, my executive function, uh, I was able to self-regulate. I had forethought and judgment and planning and all those things. And now two-year-olds, one-year-olds, newborns are kind of like babysat with this iPad in the crib. And it's a very natural thing. And it has become one element of our society that, um, man, it is divisive, right? You talk about um, something like vaccinations being divisive. Now we're talking about something that is at the core of so many or did your kid watch too much TV? Are they on their phone too much? All those types of things. And um, we are really identifying um, that there are a certain group of individuals, if they already had a genetic predisposition to something like depression or anxiety or eating disorders, if they have the right variables, uh, meaning not the greatest, right, the maladaptive right. variables in play um, in their environment, if they have abusive parents, if they spend all of their time alone um, and without family or positive role models, if they're struggling financially, if there is no transportation, if there's food insecurity, all those types of things, all of a sudden the greatest distraction in the world is in this rectangle. Um, the greatest um, kind of parameter of where you fit in society is in this, this um, rectangle. And um, it has proven to be very, very challenging um, to separate for so many of these folks their real world and the virtual world and who they are in both of those. Whereas, for example, when we were younger, if a friend called on the phone, it was kind of like, oh, I'm just going to talk on the phone. There's a wire and I'm going to get some privacy by going around the corner and things well, like that. Well, your mom was always on the other end of the line, though. She yeah, always knew like, who you're talking hang to. Yeah. yeah, right. Hang on the phone. So um, now it's this, you're on your own trying to figure this out with your friends and do those types of things. And <clears throat> the research is unequivocal. We see this now, and <clears throat> it's in the mainstream media where it's coming out of the that uh, Instagram knew about it, Facebook knew about it. They had all the metrics in play, and they recognized that what was happening on all of these mediums was that kids were exhibiting um, really maladaptive responses to spending more and more time on these platforms. Kids were really struggling, um, and they are not capable of spontaneously engaging in social interaction because they simply don't have enough in vivo practice doing that. So it's very awkward and it's very alarming to them. Um, I had a patient the other day tell me that if somebody just called me out of nowhere, one of my friends, it would be the equivalent of me just coming out of the bathtub and then walking into my bedroom. That is how invasive it is to them because they couldn't prepare themselves 
for kind of what the, that conversation was going to be. They couldn't, if it was a, a some kind of FaceTime call or something right. like that, they couldn't prep themselves. They couldn't do all those types of things. That anxiety never existed before. And we've never trained this generation of kids um, how to manage that. And this generation of kids, to be honest, is now becoming this generation of young adults. Um, and so we, we are kind of seeing a, a multi-tiered generational aspect to this that's getting harder and harder to manage um, and is really contributing to mental health disorders. So, so when people are coming in, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth or put you on the spot, but is it almost kind of like getting to the point where it's telling somebody to get off drugs of like, if you want to begin to solve this problem that you're having with your mental health, and if you're suffering from a mental illness, and it's clear that the like your life outside of this reality into another one is affecting it. Um, are you having more of those conversations with parents? or with patients about, listen, you have to get off social media. This is so detrimental to you, or you have to stop doing X, Y, and Z um, to try and yeah. combat that anxiety, to try and combat that depression. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I think um, I, I try to be very careful here because technology is a tool. And like any tool, if it's used appropriately, magical. You can do amazing things with the technology that's around. It's solving problems that we never thought we were gonna solve. It's curing illnesses we never thought we'd cure, all those types of things. Um, and I hate to tell families, I, I really try not to do the binary all or nothing mentality. Instead it's, let's moderate. Let's find a means by which we can shape this kind of exposure to this medium in a meaningful fashion. Um, as opposed to saying no social media on Mondays, Wednesdays, Friday, uh, I would say something like, what do you all think would be a meaningful middle ground where we could start inch by inch, foot by foot, day by day, starting to reduce the amount of time that your child was spending on social media? Because to your point, Tyler, if they're in an abusive relationship, I would tell them, you got to get out of that abusive relationship. But it's not easy to just run away from that abusive relationship. You have to plan, you have to be mindful of a lot of different elements, those types of things. If they were recently diagnosed with cancer, we would have to try and create a multimodal plan of your diet, behavioral activation, what are we going to do about social connection, what are we going to do about your education, all those different types of things. Um, social media, technology, those types of um, variables, it's the same. We have to figure out a means by which to meaningfully address it, but also not um, completely poo-poo it and um, really pathologize the behavior because it's not going anywhere. Instead of saying, put it away and don't ever use it, let's say, how can we find a healthy way of using this? And what alternative behaviors are we going to engage in with a meaningful, concrete plan so that you have something to do when you're not doing that? That maybe won't be as fulfilling in the moment, but eventually it could find a, a helpful balance between what you're doing that isn't quite working out and what could be as a potential in the future. Yeah, because ultimatums are kind of dangerous when it comes to uh, mental illness. I know it is for me. Like, hey, all right, cold turkey, not going to drink. You're never drinking again. Don't face yeah. down in a puddle the next day. I mean, it's one of those things. It's kind of like I say this in jest, but actually, I mean, there were studies to it. Uh, when we were kids, at least um, uh, this program was still going on, was dare and telling kids oh. to not do drugs. Absolutely. We all crazy. learned how to do drugs because of dare <laughs> that like we oh. all, and there's studies behind it. Like they, we all like went to drug school because of dare. Um, totally. 
So it, yeah. I, I can understand, like, yeah, like, like that, that struggle of trying to not necessarily wean off, but like finding that middle ground, which when it comes to mental illness, that's kind of the balance that we're all looking for. I know, especially for me being somebody so imbalanced with bipolar, that's, that's the biggest goal in my life. That's the challenge. Um, and kind of circling back to depression, kind of like wrapping up in all of this is like, how do you know, like, you know, bringing this back to my favorite movie, Philadelphia, um, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old. Yeah. What is the difference between seasonal and chronic depression in terms of how to spot it? Like how much overlaps or are there symptoms where it's like that is that only pertains to X or Y? Um, I would say that it is the former more than the latter. There's a ton of overlap when it comes to um, major depressive disorder um, and anything in that arena and seasonal affective disorder. So first and foremost, I have to say, um, how do you know it's a problem um, when it's one or the other is something we call functional impairment. So to what extent are these symptoms that you're experiencing impairing your functioning across one or more domains? Example, I am feeling, uh, I wake up in the morning, I'm feeling really lethargic. I start thinking about going to work and it uh, is so averse, I'm over it. And um, I start thinking about what happened the night before with my girlfriend and I start tearing up and I start feeling overwhelmed. Um, but I still get out of bed, I get in the shower, I turn on some music when I'm in the bath, um, in the shower, and then um, my mood kind of kicks up a little bit, but it's still not great and I know that I'm on edge. I get dressed, I still, I'm, and then I get in the car and then um, I see a neighbor on my way out, they say hi, I say, oh, hey, what's up, what's going on, da da da. I drive, I make it to work, I connect with a colleague as soon as I get there, we walk into the elevator together, we go to work, I ended up making it through my work day and I go home. The alternative would be those same kind of um, symptoms when I first woke up, feeling lethargic, getting sad, reflecting on some depressive thoughts, um, but I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't take the shower, or I took the shower and I couldn't get dressed. Eventually, I didn't make it to work and I had to call in and just say, I need to take a mental health day. Um, and then if a pattern of behavior forms secondary to that where um, three out of seven days, I'm not able to get to work because of that same set of symptoms, those kind of constellation of, of difficulties that I'm having, now we know it's very different than being a human being, which means you're gonna be sad sometimes, which means getting out of bed is gonna be hard sometimes, which means you're gonna be tearful sometimes. That is the human experience. And to deny it means that we'll never know what feeling great means because we don't have something to counterbalance. But when you can't get up and do those things, for someone younger, it would be, I couldn't go to school, right? The academic mm -hmm. piece, it's your job when you're younger, that's your job is going to school. Um, the other piece would be, I, I don't make friends. I choose to socially withdraw. Whereas I used to have a group of friends and um, I used to play club sports or I used to do this and that, I don't do that anymore. And instead I choose um, intentionally and deliberately to sit in my room for extended periods of time often not doing much at all, just listening to, to music or on my own on the internet or just sitting and not doing much. And so that would be kind of the starting point is determining is there functional impairment or not? I recognize this is kind of a, a darker topic that we're talking about and contextually it's getting darker in my room that I'm in here. So <laughs> that, that's if okay. you need me to find a lamp, just let me know, right? It's okay. Um, <laughs> so then um, the other piece ends up being Seasonal affective disorder is seasonal by its name. 
right? So typically, this is something that takes effect um, in the fall, after the summer months, and we see it through the winter. And there are, again, a constellation of either behaviors or experiences that encapsulate this um, seasonal affective disorder, which is different than depression. Depression is something that will happen um, regardless of the season, regardless of where you live, regardless a lot of different variables that are pretty consistent with SAD, seasonal affective disorder. Um, all things being equal, seasonal affective disorder, um, affective disorder, excuse me, will um, occur um, in those kind of months. It'll happen in places that will have um, kind of a geographic location farther from the equator. Um, they will happen in places that are typically a little bit cloudier. Um, and they are, tend to happen um, with individuals who are predisposed to depression anyway, right? So this is the double whammy. If you already have difficulty with depressive symptomatology sub-threshold, and then you live in Seattle, um, you have a higher likelihood because it's going to be cloudier or rainier and less sunlight in general than a person who just had sub-threshold depression in having functional impairment, right? And so all those things together end up letting us kind of tease apart a little bit of how do you know the difference between MDD, major depressive disorder, or depressive symptomatology versus seasonal affective disorder. The other thing that we know is that some of the interventions for seasonal affective disorder are not things that we would automatically recommend um, for major depressive disorder, like phototherapy. Um, so light therapy, while it can be helpful for individuals who are living closer to the equator depression, Generally speaking, they can walk out the door um, and have a lot of sunlight and feel okay about things. Um, whereas someone who has seasonal affect disorder would need to leverage the use of a, a light box um, on a regular basis um, to be able to get that vitamin D or a vitamin D supplement, um, something uh, akin to that, to be able to, to make meaningful gains that are sustainable. You know, it's funny you talk about light therapy because uh, I, I've always hated this, and it, I don't know, this is just me. Uh, I don't like it when somebody tells me to go outside. It's such a bright and sunny day outside. Go and do it. And when you're depressed, you hate that person. You don't want that. But what I've tried to equate it to is we're, we're all like Superman, right? And we need the sun. That's all it is, is we need that power and energy from the sun so we can survive because those clouds, that rain, that is our kryptonite. So Absolutely. I don't know if that helps anybody think about it in those terms. But the, again, the hey, smile if you're sad never works and it's detrimental right. to the cause yeah no and it definitely that kind of um feedback oftentimes patients have told me it's very um kind of devaluing and marginalizing and they say okay well you don't really get it if you're telling me to do, just do that just smile it off you don't really get what my experience is right now and so trying to really support an individual and in better understanding uh, i'm not telling you to go outside because it's a beautiful day and then maybe this is your therapy. This is your prescription. Right. Right. I'm giving you a prescription to go outside, be minimally physically active outdoors, because it will not only change kind of your mood as a function internally of what's happening, your physiology, right? Your heart rate's gonna increase, your senses are gonna be more activated because you're hearing things, you're listening to, to more, you're smelling, um, engaging with your environment, those types of things. Um, but by and large, it is something that will alter your thoughts if you can change. We talk about this all the time in therapy, that the triad, thoughts, feelings, behavior, the way you think about the world, 
leads to the way you feel about the world, leads to the choices you make and your behavior. So if you can choose to walk outside, right? If you can choose to go get into sunlight, even to sit in sunlight, your thoughts will change invariably. You can't help but change your thinking. Even if it's, it is too sunny out here. This is hurting my eye. <laughs> At least you're not thinking what you were thinking when you were listening to that iron and wine song bedroom all alone and getting farther and farther down the rabbit hole like you were saying that's really good advice right there and I, I think that's so important for people to hear from a medical expert is that we're not just doing it for you know laughs and giggles right it's like it literally helps you to go walk outside and be in the sun it all helps um man doc everything we've talked about today has been so helpful i know our viewers are are absolutely going to love this and uh i do want to say I, I know though there's been an unbelievable strain put on healthcare workers such as yourself in the past two years. But I mean, that's kind of always been the case. And, and it kind of harkens back to what we were saying earlier is like doctors just wishing they could shake somebody to be like, I need you to talk to me. So right. before we let you go, doc, um, I, I always like to ask people, if there's one thing that if you could have everybody listen to that you would plead for them to do, if you had, if you were up on top of the mountain and the whole world was watching you and said, doc, go ahead, what do you got for us? What would you tell people when it comes to uh, their mental health? Whew, that's a big question, Tyler. Holy cow. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm all about thoughts. If there's one thing that I could really get human beings to buy into is that the way you think about the world is the way the world is. And there is no greater tool that you have in your arsenal than your pattern of thinking. If you can control that, if you can learn, like any skill, like any sport, like anything, if you can learn to control your thoughts, the world will change faster than you could believe. Your mood will change faster than you can believe. Outcomes in your world will change faster than you ever thought possible. And so I tell people all the time, the world is quite indifferent to your plight. A car crash is happening somewhere that you know nothing about, you didn't cause, or you don't have to deal with. A baby was born today somewhere else making somebody really, really happy. A tree fell down somewhere else and caused some damage that has none of those things have anything to do with you. If you can take the things that you believe are most important in your world and objectify them, just make them very neutral and choose your line of thinking relative to them, you can decide how you want to feel in your life at every moment. And I'll go back to what you were saying about your own experience. I hope you don't mind, Tyler. Your own experience today. You were feeling great. You got a great workout in. You were excited about the um, tasks that you were going to tackle and what that was going to look like. And then all of a sudden, it clicked. Something happened. You don't even know what it was. Part of my work with human beings is saying, let's engage in something called collaborative empiricism. Let's be really good detectives and gather clues to what was going on in that moment when that click happened. Because feelings do not come out of nowhere. There is always a micro thought, the tiniest dimension of doubt, of fear, of sadness, of anger, of jealousy. There is something there. 
And if you can stop and go back in time, just a moment to say, what was I thinking that led me to feel that way? Then we can start having some corrective emotional experiences. And then you can start trusting yourself. My goal with human beings is getting themselves out of their own way. Because every human being has everything they need to be incredibly successful and incredibly happy. It's just that we have to really learn to get a hold of our thoughts to be able to control our feelings and our behaviors. That might have been the best answer. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish what my other guests have said, <laughs> but that was uh, if, if we could clap on the show, if all the people watching this right now could clap, we'd be <laughs> clapping that. I mean, you just nailed that man. And uh, like, I think that's such a good perspective I have. Like you're telling me, and I, now I'm thinking about my day and what, what I was thinking about before. And I, you know, I never really thought to go back and think about the moment. I just knew I was sad, but I, I didn't, it I'd never really occurred to me to like go back like I was a detective. So I have some things to work on that I just recognize. Yeah, we all do, right? And I don't want to make it sound like it's so easy, right? It takes a lot of practice. Right. And so when it comes to seasonal affective disorder, depression, whatever it is, engage in talk therapy. It is the greatest intervention. It is a biological intervention. The neurotransmitters in your brain, the structure of your brain changes. It's not medication. It is just talking through issues and gaining new strategies and tools. It will change your life. So I highly encourage folks um, to get over that stigma, get over those barriers, do what you have to do, um, and, and find a partner in therapy. Um, well, I mean, we just got the best talk therapy ever today with this episode. <laughs> Doc, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We it, really, yeah. really appreciate it. We're going to have to have you back on the show at some exactly. point in the future. But thank you again so much for everything. Uh, and we'll see you later on down the road, okay? Thank you so much, Tyler. Thanks, everybody. All right, we'll see you. Man, Dr. Talebi crushed it. I really was going back when he was thinking about that, and I know what I was thinking about now when I had my moment earlier today. Got some stuff to process. Okay, I get it. And that's the tough thing about it, right, is like we, we get like sucked in like so quickly. It's almost like we let our guard down sometimes, probably because we haven't been doing the work. And like full disclosure – it's been really hard to do this show and keep up my process that like that I use to like, you know, keep my mental health in check. Like I've been having some gaps in my defense and things are getting through and there's been rough times, which is fine. It's like I'm under stress trying to do this and whatnot, and we're all under crazy amounts of stress with everything we have going on. But like you said, it's that reinforcement. And I mean, that's kind of what this show is every week. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we talk about these things because all of these episodes get to be evergreen. All of these episodes are evergreen. They can be applied to any time of the year for any subject. Uh, so I, I'm seeing some of you guys, you know, uh, in our chat talk about like um, how you needed this today. And I'm hoping that's the case is that it hits one person, right? Uh, and, and everything Hani was talking about, um, I really like the way he crafted it. Where he wasn't one of those, he didn't come off as like life coaches. Like, you just got to change your thought process, man. If you start thinking more positive, positivity is going to come your way. He's like, no, you have to like, you have to recognize what's going on with your own brain. I recognize my limitations. I know what I need to be doing. And then through that, focusing on the world that I have in my brain and then thinking about it a different way, which is a great perspective.
Even if some of us have broken brains in a sense, even though none of us are broken, we're human. Um, However, we can save our own worlds. I thought he spoke a lot of power to um, that subject and how you can accomplish that. And then learning about seasonal depression. Like I always just, I didn't, I didn't really know, but I actually knew about the light therapy thing. I, I had never heard about it. I was doing research this week before the show. And I'm like, people will actually get light therapy. I didn't know that was a thing. I had like heard they had done that to like babies or whatnot, but I did not know that that was an actual thing that people go through. And it makes sense. It really does. Um, so no matter what you're going through, uh, watching this episode today, whenever you happen to be watching it, if you're watching it live with us, uh, or if you're watching it in like a couple months or a couple years or who knows, you could be watching this episode in 40 years. If the world is still around, it probably won't be. It'll be under the water. Um, but if you do, I hope you, uh, know that some of this stuff is very explainable. And I think that does help sometimes is even though we all want to be unique in our own way. It is very comforting sometimes to go to the doctor when, like, all of us assume when we go to the doctor for something that we can't explain. We're like, it's cancer. It's cancer. It's an STD. I'm going to freaking die. This is the worst. It's good to know that a doctor can tell you, like, uh, Dr. Tlebi, like, no, this is what it is. And it's cool. And it sucks, but we're going to get through it, and it's going to be fine. Um, so whatever you're going through right now as we kind of get into these uh, – depressing months if you will um take care of yourself more than you would be you got to be on a vigilant watch i mean i got to do the same i did allow myself to cry over tom hanks and denzel fake dying in my head it was so sad and it will be sad when they die it's gonna happen one day i need to prepare for that i hope hopefully i have some more time um but i think it's you know we've talked about it too with doctors as well as like um having marcy on uh, from Dill Children's talking about it. it's okay to be sad sometimes and kind of lean into it. You know, not too much where we're going over the edge, but the the doc talked about it right there. Like, you can't tell somebody to snap out of it. Like, go smile. Look how beautiful it is outside. Why don't you shut the hell up? <laughs> Nobody likes that person. Because, it, like you said, you're not seen. You're not validated. That does not help whatsoever. Um, I think it would be the same thing for anybody who lives up in Seattle who's like, well, why don't you just not live in Seattle and deal with the rain? It's like, well, yeah, sure. Let me just move my freaking life somewhere else. So I like what he said about like, you know, making your world kind of like smaller, figuring out what to do and then going with that thought process. And I know that this is kind of taxing some guys to talk about all this heavy stuff um, uh, every week. But, you know, this really is for again to be an evergreen thing to whenever these things need to be used or whenever they need to be seen uh so you can watch them so i appreciate everybody joining us for this show today thanks again to uh dr Talebi, uh, just fascinating guy obviously whip smart you can see why he does speaking engagements and so many people want to to grab him and uh hear what he has to say but we'll definitely have him on the program again um like i said this is going to be uh, my last episode for at least two weeks well there's this week so this episode's here i will not have an episode next week i'm gonna be out of town unfortunately couldn't work it out still gonna be trying to stream um uh for that and uh or stream on the channel maybe do great british bake-off again uh later this week we'll just have to see gotta it's gonna be a busy uh couple days coming up but i will be back that following day 
Um, we're continuing to grow and continuing to build. I want to thank all the subs this month as we wrap up September. If you're still thinking of subbing to the channel, you have a few days left for September where it's cheaper. I want you guys to save your money, so please do so. Um, and, you know, we have more exciting things coming down the pipe that I can't really talk about right now. And that's such a lame tease. But um, there are things that are building behind this show that are very exciting. So point being is that uh, I'm not going anywhere. You guys aren't going to be going anywhere. Uh, we're going to continue to make this thing uh, bigger and better, not in terms of like, you know, I don't need like a thousand freaking people watching this show, but bigger and better as far as the guests, the show itself, everything else like that, just upwards and onwards, and just be here for each other this winter um, to kind of help each other out. I try and focus on the good things in the fall. Maybe that's what we could all do for our uh, homework is just focus on the freaking good things, right? Like just, I love football. I love cold weather. I love cold weather. It's my favorite thing. October is my freaking favorite month of the year. I love the spooky times. I love Halloween. I love horror movies. I really try and focus on those things. I hate Thanksgiving with the passion of a thousand burning suns. There's a lot of stuff that I hate that comes up after October that I should just not focus on. I'm going to focus on the good things. I'm going to go see the new Halloween movie, even though it's probably going to be terrible. Nothing's going to beat the first two, but that's okay. I'm going to live it up this month, enjoy all these cool things, and maybe that's what uh, everybody else um, should focus on as well. Focus on your favorite things in October. and We got to do spooky things. We get spooky games. I need to buy the spooky games so we can play them here. Maybe we can do a watch party on Amazon for a spooky movie. I think we can watch the thing on Amazon Watch. Maybe we do that. Well, if you're listening to the show, you're like, well, Tyler, I can't watch because uh, I'm listening. Well, if you come to our Twitch channel, you can do all the good stuff. But I appreciate you uh, listening or watching the show, however you are. I hope you're good wherever you are. Um, I'm going to stick around a little bit for the post show here on Twitch. That's another perk to watching us on the channel. Uh, but for everybody out there, I love you. It's a Monday. Ugh. Or whenever you listen to this, I guess it's going to be Tuesday. But it was Monday here in this time, in this moment where I'm existing, talking into this mic and into this camera. It was Monday. And it was a whatever Monday. We're moving on to the next one. All right. I love you guys. I hope you have a good rest of the week. We are almost into October. Spooky times. Um, and I will be back in two weeks, okay? But I promise to be back. See you guys.